I'm Dr. Ashley McClure, a primary care doctor and medical community climate organizer and mom. Welcome to my podcast, Courageous Medicine, where I interview fellow physicians to hear their personal stories of when they first faced the climate crisis, how they see the responsibilities of being a physician as a call to climate solutions advocacy, and what gifts engaging in climate activism has given their lives. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Sarah Shear. I am a fourth year medical student at the University of California, San Francisco. Um, I grew up in Maryland. So you're from Maryland. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Do you want to tell the story of how, how we met? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so this was back in September 2019. And I had been, I think, really becoming more and more concerned about climate change since the previous year um, during the extreme wildfire season with the campfire um, and also seeing um, a community that I had lived in and worked in um, in South India, in Kerala, that was really devastated by the monsoon season that summer. Millions of people were displaced from their homes, and I was just realizing how climate change is this crisis that is already harming people's health tremendously, and I was looking for a way to to find my voice or my way into supporting um, action on climate change. And I saw these youth-led protests and I, I just immediately wanted to, to join and support them. Um, and so in September 2019, there was a climate strike planned and I had been trying to rally some of my classmates um, in medical school to come out. And I think through one of my classmates, I learned that a doctor at Kaiser was also trying to organize um, medical folks to come out to the protest um, and got connected with you, Ashley. Um, <laughs> and gosh, we got on the phone and I was so excited to connect with um, another person, another young uh, woman in medicine who was, you know, starting to orient their life to, to working on this issue. And so, um, yeah, we, we got together and uh, turned out a bunch of um, physicians and health students to the strike. And um, it was really a powerful experience. So those two climate-fueled disasters of the campfire and then the monsoon in Kerala, was there... Was there, can you like remember a moment where you kind of saw those individual disasters and how they are connected to the global warming, you know, disaster? Yes, I think so. The, the monsoon in Kerala hit first and I was just wrapped reading the news and I was texting with my friends there via WhatsApp um, and trying to figure out what I could do um, from a distance to help. 
And it was reading the news coverage and seeing climate change mentioned in the news coverage that I thought, okay, I, I need to read more about this. I, I had you know, heard about climate change. I, I had even gotten a lecture about it and its wide ranging health impacts. Um, but somehow it always felt too big and like I didn't quite know what I could do as an individual. Yeah. And then once I saw how it was harming this beautiful community that has done almost nothing to contribute to the crisis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm living in a wealthy country that has contributed the most to the crisis historically in terms of our emissions. And so I think it was just reading that news coverage and having this moment of kind of like moral reckoning in my heart where I, I thought, you know, I can't ignore this anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was being really personally connected to the beauty in Kerala. And then thank God somebody was writing about climate being related to it in the news. Cause that's yes. not a guess. Um, so that helped to connect it for you was seeing an acute problem and then the news coverage connecting it to the bigger problem yes. or something that you love basically. Yes. And then there was sort of a cascade of events because I was, I started reading about um, the Paris Agreement and about what scientists were saying about how long do we have left to meaningfully change what the future is going to look like? How much longer do we have to take action and protect a livable climate? And some of what I was finding was really scary, like, um, you know, projections of years to yeah. rapidly draw down emissions. Um, and so I thought, you know, I was coming up on a time in my medical education where I could take a gap year. I thought, wow, if we only have, you know, yeah. uh, if it's only on the order of years, you know, what can I do? Um, mm -hmm. And I reached out to a friend from college actually he um, is a climate campaigner with Avaz, um, this mm -hmm. global movement um, to address climate change and other kind of social injustices. Um, and he happened to be coming to San Francisco for mm -hmm. um, like this international climate gathering. Uh -huh. And he stayed on my sofa uh -huh. for one night <laughs> and he like, he sat with me and he, it was like breaking bad news. It was yeah. like, wow. like the way that we learn to do with mm. patients with really serious life-threatening illness. He, he broke the bad news to me about tipping points um, in the environment. And, um, you know, I think did it in such a way that was really encouraging to me that I, I could make a meaningful difference and use my medical voice. Um, yeah. We should send him a thank you letter. <laughs> <laughs> we should send him this. Um, wow. So he kind of like, it sounds almost like a rite of passage. So sort yeah. of to like face the situation. Yeah. I think it helped me helped me face it 
And um, then I believe it was in the very beginning of 2019, I saw the Sunrise Movement Mm -hmm. sit in in Nancy Pelosi's Mm -hmm. office in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. And that is when I think I really felt courage. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that, yes, there is a movement building and I can join this. Yeah, yeah. Because it felt like there, there was community to join, like you weren't exactly. alone. Exactly, I wasn't alone. Yeah, yeah. wow. I, I know that picture. I don't know where I was when I first saw it, but like the visual of the sit-in was so, so powerful. Yes, the young people running through the halls with unfurling banners for yeah. Green New Deal and yeah. telling their stories. Um, bringing those stories to the seat of power and and just saying it's not acceptable to to keep ignoring this. Mm -hmm. Wow. How would you say your life has changed personally since you faced climate and the gravity? I think that um, I definitely experience more fear and worry on a day-to-day basis about climate change and about what the future holds. Um, Mm -hmm. I also have found this wonderful supportive community. Mm -hmm. People in this movement are so beautiful and passionate and supportive and caring and so I've made all of these wonderful friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I also feel a very strong sense of purpose Mm. because we, you know, the global scientific consensus is we really have a decade to Mm. dramatically mobilize our society and change how we do things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so it kind of gives me my, I've got my sense of purpose. This is what I'm going to work on for Mm. the next decade. It's clear. Yeah. Um, And the, the communities that you have, create you know joined um are kind of the the communities that you're working on that shared purpose and it has been something that's really sounded like added to your life yes definitely Mm, i hear you i couldn't agree more so then then there's the facet of you that's a physician in training um and what is it so you did you take the Hippocratic Oath? Yes. Well, we, we took a physician oath when we uh-huh. um, received our white coats at the beginning mm-hmm. of medical school. Yes. Do you remember anything in that? <laughs> <laughs> like, did, did any of that or, you know, the, even the, the idea of that, like, what does that have to do with climate advocacy? So I... I couldn't tell you every word in it, but I I distinctly remember um, that the oath that we took said that we would stand up against unjust policies that harm our patients. And I think that resonated so deeply with me because Mm -hmm. this is a policy issue Mm -hmm. and it's directly harming our patients. And so I, I felt like you know, addressing climate change is squarely within our Hippocratic Oath. You know, it's, it's yeah. written in there. Um, yeah. I think, you know, also when you're 
training to be a physician and you take that oath, it's, it's basically saying every, every human life matters. I'm going to care for every human life equally. And if we take that really, really seriously, then mm -hmm. thinking about how climate change affects people so unequally mm -hmm. in this world um, and how the impacts are falling hardest on low-income people, black and brown communities, migrants, children, mm -hmm. um, you know, those are the connections I see. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a commitment to care for people, no matter their you know, any of their individual identities. It's just that they're people. Right. And to look out for their best interest. Yeah. Yes. Are there any physicians, current or historical, that you think that you've, um, like, looked to as justification for climate advocacy or, or who you think kind of exemplify that... Um, protection of human life whether it's you know in keeping with business as usual or whether it's forcing change yes um ooh, and I I love this question and we'll continue to think about about this but um a few um a few physicians who come to mind are you know John Snow um in England who discovered the the water pump that was the source of the cholera epidemic and, um, you know, raised the alarm and was able to get that pump shut down. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we've, we've talked about, about the parallels between shutting down cholera-laden pumps and shutting down oil pumps. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that that um, use of a public health principle yeah. to be able to shut down a source of harm um, has been really inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been inspired by, um, you know, the, the group of physicians who during the time of the threat of nuclear war mobilized to oppose um, nuclear armament um, mm -hmm. and um, you know, really made a difference there. And more recently, I've been really inspired by a group called Doctors for Camp Closure. Mm -hmm. And um, the physicians in that group all across the country who are mobilizing to show the inhumanity of conditions in our uh, immigrant detention facilities um, and who are who are fighting to shut them down and to bring um, public health interventions and medical oversight to those facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. they're they're making a social issue and social injustice a some like kind of a health issue, a medical issue, a medical community concern. Yes, I think. Um, you know, when you're facing these really wicked, disheartening problems, to face it as an individual health professional and be so in touch with that suffering, it, you really need to find community to mobilize and to, to help give voice to that. And so I, I think 
in facing climate change and, and feeling that way about climate change, it really helped me to see what Doctors for Camp Closure was doing. Mm-hmm. As like a, a model for how, how to link arms and, and connect within the medical community to face those um, enormous uh, challenges that can't yes. be solved alone. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like that's something that gives you hope is the, is the finding community. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are yeah. there anything else that gives you hope in the face of what we are facing? Yeah, I think mainly community and, mm-hmm. and seeing <laughs> what other people are fighting for in this movement, how people are identifying their own gifts Look, mm-hmm. like what they have to give and then giving that whether it's I'm a pretty good writer or I love to make art or I am really good at talking to my community and my friends and getting them to vote or to join an action yeah. um, or I'm really good at reading the medical literature and synthesizing it mm-hmm. um, you know finding those skills that you have to bring to the movement and then and then giving those, um, that gives me hope. And, um, and I also say courage, because I think some days if the sky is orange, and the air is bad, and people, you know, are having to evacuate their homes, it can be really hard to feel hopeful. Yeah. Um, But I can still feel courage. Tell me more about that. Like what, how, how are those different for you? Yeah, I think it's almost a palliative approach. Like I love palliative care. And before, <laughs> before I focused most waking hours on climate activism, I was pretty involved in palliative care activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, in facing a really uncertain future and a future where there could be a lot of suffering, finding ways to do whatever you can to to make it better, to mitigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily require um, a hope for a, a totally different outcome, but courage to talk about it, yeah. courage to try to make the best plans you can to help mm-hmm. and support people and, and support their humanity mm-hmm. um, and ability to have the best life they can. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like a courage is more of a willingness to act despite fear Mm -hmm. versus hope is kind of might be alone or might not do anything. Yeah. You you helped give me courage, Ashley. I remember the first time I ever spoke at a, at a public hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Where was that? Tell tell us. (laughs) That was at the the Bay Area Air Quality Management District um, Mm -hmm. meeting in San Francisco. Their scientific advisory group was having a meeting about Mm -hmm. whether they should change the, um, what is considered a safe level of chronic air pollution exposure. and there was an opportunity for public comment and I had never done that before. And for some reason, the meeting planners moved the public comment period to the very beginning of the meeting instead of after we had had the chance to listen to all these um, illustrious speakers Mm -hmm. teach us about air pollution. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was nervous. Um, 
but you pulled me out of my chair. (laughs) I did. (laughs) We went up to the dais and just spoke from the heart. And Mm -hmm. I think um, it really moved people. And I heard from some of the other community activists, climate activists, that it meant a lot to have health professionals there in their white coats speaking up. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that moment well. And I think, you know, my heart rate was probably like 150 or so when I was talking. (laughs) But that is a beautiful example of courage, you know, despite um, kind of the formalities of like power that make it really uncomfortable for anybody to say anything because you might be wrong or you might not have anything valuable to add. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was really memorable. and yeah, we had just joined the club, but we knew what the meaning was. And I think that's where we came from, um, which is kind of enough, you know? We don't have to know, yeah. there's enough, we don't need to know too much science. It's, it's more the meaning, um, which I think has really been under um, undervalued <laughs> yes. in climate science and the kind of climate you know, in, in climate science, and I think the movement is bringing the meaning to mm-hmm. what the science was lacking for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, courage. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Um, and then maybe my last question is, do you, have you had any conversations with attendings or other medical students where they were like, eh, I don't really know if that's kind of something for physicians to be engaging on you know, it's not really in our wheelhouse. Like, can you remember any conversations like that? You know, I think I've been lucky not to to come across that. I've mostly been rotating in, in pediatric settings because I'm preparing to apply to pediatric residency. And yeah. um, every attending I've talked to has, has pretty much said, yeah, that, that sounds really great and important. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember giving a presentation to the adolescent medicine program at the end of my rotation um, here. And one of the oldest attendings um, told me that it reminded him of walking out of medical school during the Vietnam War um, to protest the Vietnam War. And he said that he felt like this was the issue of our generation and our time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Mm. yeah. That that was really moving to yeah. to hear that from him. Yeah, you don't you don't necessarily know that there will be support, you know, for um, for making our profession prioritize something new. I think it can be really scary. Yes, and intimidating. And I will say, there are different types of opposition. It's not necessarily that people will openly say it doesn't matter or that it's, it's not a good thing to work on. But at this point also putting up, you know, resistance to prioritizing the issue or saying, you know, well, we have to slow down on this or we, we can't focus on this right now is a way 
of undermining mm-hmm. progress because because we have so little time left yeah. Uh, yeah to deal with climate change yeah yeah what might you say i heard that last week um <laughs> not not right now the covid is a disaster um which is true but what what do you say like if you were to to be speaking to somebody right now in a position of power who said this is really important but maybe next year i would try to connect action on climate with what they love and care about mm-hmm. and are concerned about because yeah. climate is connected with everything it's um it's connected with covid because we are seeing these extreme weather events that have been fueled by climate change, uh, mm-hmm. displacing people during the pandemic. You know, the economic crisis that we're facing where people are, you know, having to double and triple up in their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is, um, you know, raising the risk of spreading COVID, but also people's vulnerability to, to climate impacts. Um, and so, finding ways of of highlighting how much this issue is connected with the other issues that matter to healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also recently talking to a friend who's an emergency medicine resident, and she has really been working to make the case to her hospital that sustainability is economically Mm -hmm. advantageous right now. Yeah. And hospitals are facing, you know, an economic shortfall actually decreasing our waste, actually mm-hmm. having PPE that is meant to be reused. Um, you know, there, there are ways in which there's a strong economic case for, for acting now on climate yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you couldn't have said it um, better that it's about, it, we can connect it to everything. And so if somebody doesn't feel the urgency connecting it to what is their current priority to help connect the dots um, yeah. and, and, and show the um, interdependent um, dynamics. Yeah, beautiful. Awesome. Well, I really love hearing um, your story and, um, and working with you. And I, I couldn't agree more with the, the purpose part. You know, I think my life since engaging in climate movement groups is more meaningful than ever before yes by far um so thank you <laughs> thank you ashley yeah was, i really enjoyed this conversation yeah great all right well we'll share it out um and we'll talk soon like dr ashley mcclure stated share these podcasts with your friends and colleagues to widen the circle of physicians advocating for health healing and equity in the climate conversation Before you go, I, Angela Dronmo, editor of this podcast, challenge you to think about one tangible way you can get involved in climate advocacy this week, whether that be reading a couple articles to educate yourself on climate policies and issues to joining an organization like Climate Health Now. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you listen in next week.